0: Welcome back to the Boer Sport Podcast. My name is Luke James and for today's episode I'm joined by two of the Boer Sport Deputy Editors, Sam Warner and Sam Matthews Bomer. On today's show we're going to be talking about three different topics over the next half an hour including the Australian Open, some rugby topics and also the Premier League title race which got certainly a lot more interesting following Liverpool's 1-0 defeat against Burnley earlier this week. But before we get into the show I wanted to throw it over to Sam and Sam. Um so it's not with you, Sam Warner. If you pick out an article from the website that's caught your attention this week.
1: Um so mine's quite a politically topical article. It's um Trump National being stripped of the twenty twenty two US PGA championship. It's a very well written article but also just by Reese and it's just interesting due to the political importance of it as
0: well at the moment sure so that article was published on the 18th of january if you're looking at the website now it's called trump national strip of the 2022 uspga championship and ruse goodall who is our chief sub-editor kind of does a report on kind of why the title was taken away from trump national and then goes through some of the ramifications and i think yeah it's, it's a really interesting article and it's actually quite similar to something that's going on in belarus at the moment so belarus was kind of was meant to be hosting the ice hockey world championships and had it taken away because of the situation there. Um, and similarly, like the president of Belarus is like massively into ice hockey, just as Trump is massively into golf. So it's quite a, a strikingly similar situation. Sam Matthews Bomer, what article caught your eye this week?
2: One of yours caught my eye this week, Luke. So the one that was uploaded, I think, today on January the twenty-second, which. Uh, is about the National League season being in doubt after joint statement calls for suspension. And I believe that the National League, North and South, have since been suspended. So obviously for us at the ball, that's quite an impactful and topical article because we do have such close links to Leamington FC, which you have forged across this season, Luke. We seem to be one of the main reporters on their games these days. And obviously, it's therefore very close to our heart. I mean, Leamington have played quite a big role seemingly in the discussions about around whether the season should be suspended or not. And um, yeah, the Leamington FC chairman, Jim Scott, uh, has come out and said that individual loans, which is one of the policies proposed by the league, um, individual loans to clubs are not a, not a viable option. So obviously, he doesn't think that the league should go ahead, I believe, and he thinks it should have been suspended as it has now been. And it's basically just quite a worrying time for non league footballers. We don't really we can't really look too far into the future as clubs are in such financial difficulty as a result of the pandemic to such an extent they can't even put on games week to week behind closed doors.
0: Definitely. It's been a really interesting week kind of for the National League and also kind of further down the pyramid, too. The the past couple of days have been really important for the National League because basically the league sent an email out to all the clubs saying, like, how would you like us to resolve this season? They were given three options. Uh, Number one, kind of clubs would have to take out individual loans to get them through to the end of the season. Option two would see kind of the National League take on the loan and then redistribute that money as grants to each of the 66 member clubs. And then last but not least, the the kind of the option least favoured by kind of the central league organisation was basically to to suspend the season. And last night, so the 21st of January, 12 clubs from the National League North came out and said, look, we need to suspend the season. This just isn't going to go ahead. We're kind of in dire straits at the moment. Leamington weren't one of those clubs. So I actually spoke to Lemington earlier in the day on Thursday and said, like, are you able to give a comment? And they said no, because the league has, has kind of asked them to, to not disclose what they were going to vote for. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to kind of point out about Lemington as such. And I'm not just saying this because I like them, but they're such a really kind of well-run club. They're like really nice to talk to, and and they do things properly. Like it, it wasn't until basically the whole world had announced their position that kind of Jim Scott came out and made that statement. So yeah, an, an interesting week ahead in the national league, and that's something we'll keep across going forwards. Um, the article that I'll pick out before we get into the main topic of conversation for today. Is going to be an article also published today titled Aston Martin, the Strolls and Vettel set world titles in the site. So this is Ben Morley's first article for the ball, where basically he runs through the the new team on the grid Aston Martin and how Lance and Lawrence Stroll reigning for world championships. I think it's a really interesting topic because it's been such a long time since the team was on the grid and it's also kind of going to be really intriguing to see how Sebastian Vettel gets on at a team kind of whether the attitude and where kind of the background noise isn't quite so negative because kind of he's really been up against it at Ferrari for the past couple of years so going forwards hopefully the situation starts to look a little bit brighter but over on to kind of our first topic of conversation for today. Uh, Sam Warner, you wanted to talk about the Australian Open. There's been lots of controversy before the tournament has even begun. So would you like to run us through the situation there?
1: Um, Yeah, so it's obviously a very difficult time for any tournament to organise itself, particularly when um, Australia have very stringent rules about people coming into the country, so much so, so that I think they've got, like, thirty five thousand actual native Australians who are struggling to get in the country at the moment because there's just so few flights and there's limited hotel space for quarantining so as tennis players are like all people, they've had to isolate for fourteen days when coming into the country and um um due to a couple what the original situation was meant to be that they also have five hours of playing time in that window each day so they can train before the tournament and it's it's almost normal, it well, I it could be to normal, but unfortunately there were a couple of positive tests on the flights. I think it was from Dubai and somewhere else. So everyone who was in contact or on the same flight as those people, all the players, had to isolate. And this has has led to a few of the players in isolation themselves complaining, and also eventually Djokovic, who's head of his own player association in the tennis world, to speak out on behalf of them. kind of reprimand the Australian uh, uh, Open Organisation Committee and also the Australian government um, kind of saying that this situation isn't great and it's not good for tennis nor for the players in the the conditions themselves and it's not fair and then (laughs) as a strong ardent Federer fan it was lovely to see Kyrgios take to Twitter to obviously (laughs) insult Djokovic and eloquently called him a tool. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah since then he's uh, spoken that he he did have the players who are isolating their best interests at heart and I kind of do agree with him because it it is difficult for those players who are isolating as they are limited to literally only spending time in their room they can't go out on a court and hit like the others who aren't having to isolate and it's really not their fault. But with more um kind of insight than I'd have in most of their situation most of them have been very understanding and they've they've said that they knew the situation they were coming into when they signed up for playing so I think that's very impressive impressive on most players' parts and it's only been a very few number of players who have actually complained about it so I think overall it's been handled very well it's just obviously been taken into a whirlwind of the media.
0: And speaking of the media's role in this, I mean, I watched a clip that was posted on Twitter the other day from one of the Australian broadcasters, and the tone of the report, kind of especially towards Novak Djokovic, who is, of course, world number one at the moment, was really scathing. And I mean, Australia is taking the coronavirus so seriously. They've had, like, lockdowns between kind of different parts of the country and all, all this sort of stuff. And it makes staging a competition like this a kind of really complex and b politically toxic because kind of you have people in Australia who aren't able to see loved ones and then you have 72 players flying over and and playing tennis it's it's a strange situation i think one of the one of the headlines that caught my eye was was the fact that players have been asked not to feed the mice that are in the quarantine hotel (laughs) um, which in itself is utterly bizarre that, that that would happen in the first place Sam matthews Boma, what do you make of the situation down in
2: Australia? I mean,
0: as everything is with COVID,
2: it's such a difficult situation. But I would say I'm more on the side of the Australians and the Australian broadcasters, you were mentioning, Luke. I think for Djokovic to come out and make a, a statement about how it's unfair and stuff like that and how their game will be detrimented, which obviously it will be. But It's kind of a situation, as many Australians are pointing out, it's kind of saying, run one rule for us and one rule for you. So why should the rest of the Australian population have to quarantine and not be allowed into the country even, while the tennis players can just go out and hit a ball on the court and not have to adhere to the 14-day quarantine? I just think it's slightly unfair in the first place to the whole Australian population that the Grand Slam is going on, and for Djokovic on top of that to then start complaining is just a bit, yeah, it doesn't really
0: strike the right tone for me. Moving away from the coronavirus situation in Australia and basically around the world, the question that I wanted to put to you, Sam Warner, is this. So, th- this is a tournament, of course, without Andy Murray, who probably wouldn't have been contending for the title anyway, of course without Roger Federer as well. At the start of the month, you wrote an article highlighting some of the up and coming tennis players at the moment. Is there anyone who you're particularly looking forward to playing at this tournament?
1: Um, yeah. So I think one of my favorite young players is Yannick Sinner. So he's a very young Italian. Um, and so he had a pretty breakout year last year, very impressive along with another young player, Andre Rublev, And, um, both of them I think in the next few years are definitely going to pose or if not even this year very big challenges for Nadal and Djokovic and just to, I think this will be the first kind of setting stone to see how high they can set the bar and how much they can challenge and it will kind of tell us of how the year is going to go ahead if there will be a few more new Grand Slam winners or if it will be the same kind of thing with Nadal and Djokovic.
2: Do you reckon these people can really challenge Nadal and Djokovic Sam or Or do you think they'll never really
1: quite reach that level? Well, I think these younger ones are a bit more, they need more experience, more time. Mm -hmm. But players, particularly team Medvedev and Zverev and Titsvar, of course, they're they're a bit more ground into the tour. They've had much more experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I do sometimes see Djokovic where he loses his focus for one set. And the thing that these players haven't done so far is really punish him and make them make sure he pays and then eventually loses the match because of that. Mm-hmm. Because Nadal and Djokovic aren't superhuman. They can't focus for three hours, four hours completely. They both have sets where they have a lull, but then eventually they'll obviously get back to their top form. But they just need to make sure that they bring that A game when Nadal and Djokovic aren't quite on theirs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's going to tell the story in this Australian
2: note. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of testament to the ability and kind of enduring quality of Nadal and Djokovic and even Federer that every single year there seems to be these new names and people say, will they finally topple them? Have they finally got too old? Every single year they always kind of beat back the doubters and always prove them wrong. And so, yeah, as you say, it'll be interesting to see if these two can capitalize on their lapses in concentration and, and
0: beat them. So, Sam matthews Bowman, you don't sound so sure about some of the younger picks. Does that mean you're you're thinking this is another potential Australian Open victory for for someone like Djokovic?
2: I mean, to be honest, I clearly don't know as much as Sam about Sinner and Rublev. But I think, uh, as I said, there are these new names every year. I mean, Zverev has been a big one over the past couple of years. But I just think that trio with kind of Murray on the side have always just been so, so, so much better than everyone else that even as age catches up with them, they've still proven that they can still easily, when they're on their game, and even when they're not on their game, they can just swat aside these supposed younger talents. So, so yeah, I would say I'm expecting another Djokovic or Nadal win, but to be honest, I'd like to be proven wrong. And I hope that does
0: happen. I think the tournament is going to be really interesting. And of course, it, it kickstarts, I think, kind of the start of next month. So that's something that we'll be keeping across on all of our social media channels. The other thing that we want to talk about as well, was some of the events happening in the rugby world at the moment, WOWS, of course, will be looking to find some stronger form after a disappointing 2020. Sam Warner, how do you think WOWS are going to fare in 2021?
1: Well, um, my dad's, uh, he's from Wales and he's an ardent uh, Welsh rugby supporter. So it's been a, I'm more, you know, between, torn between England and Wales. I'd say I'd lean more to Wales depending if he's in the room. But um, it it, it was a pretty painful year for Welsh rugby, especially when the autumn nations recommenced in September, October period. Um, And uh, what I think, from my perspective, is the problem. It's, there's literally nothing exciting happening for them. Okay. And I kind of root that down to Dan Bigger and question whether, you know, he's passed his best. He's He's been at the helm of Welsh rugby for quite a long time. And <clears throat> there's two very, what I think are very exciting, potential 10 replacements for him in Callum Sheedy and Jared Evans. And I think either of those, this is their perfect opportunity, the Six Nations, when the squad itself isn't in great form. They can put pressure on him to see if they can push him to be even better or they can make their way into the squad. And I think it'll be very interesting to see who does win over that fly half shirt during the competition.
0: Sam, what do you make of that? Do you think Wows are going to be in good shape to challenge at the next Six Nations?
2: Um, To be honest, I don't think they'll really be one of the main contenders. I think following the 2019 World Cup I think it was where they made the semi-final and just lost out to South Africa in I think it was I think they've had a bit of a dip I think since then Warren Gatland has left so obviously they've had a bit of a transition period after he was in charge for so long and um, I think it will take a bit well obviously new players as Sam mentions for them to get back to their former heights but as as Sam says they've got this potential coming through and that sounds quite exciting when they've got players like Gareth Davies and Rhys Webb having to sit on the bench during as as scrum halves i think is testament to how good their squad really is
0: and of course there's lots of stuff going on in the club game as well wasps and the bristol bears have beaten exeter kind of over the most recent fixtures do you think exeter's kind of domestic dominance has been broken now sam um
1: so i I actually i I kind of want it to be i'm very biased but i do kind of want to see like a new title challenger and i've also thought the bristol bears are ridiculously strong this season like they've made some crazy good signings in the in semi redrager um carl sinclair the prop like that, that They were pretty dominant last year, just couldn't quite push Exeter or quite challenge them. But this year, I think <laughs> I think they are ridiculously strong and um, that kind of showed when they did beat them. And Wasps also, they've been unlucky with injuries to big names like Malakai, Pekatoa in centre. Um, so I think when they have a full squad as well, if they continue to be able to challenge um, like this, even when they're playing without players like that, it's very impressive. So I think unless Exeter can bring back their like structured game, which just proved unbreakable last year and the year before they do, I think they may have lost their complete dominance. And I also think it's because there, there are some new players coming through. So Harry Randall for the Bristol Bears and Paolo or for Wasp in the center as well, who've now broken through into the England squad, which was announced today for the Six Nations. And that kind of just shows how there, I think there is a slow transition where younger players are coming in and slowly aging out. And I think Exeter just are sticking with the older guns who can't quite keep up with
2: this new challenge. Sam, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, out of interest, Sam, kind of over the past couple of years, I probably haven't been following the rugby league or the rugby premiership as much as I had done previously. And obviously, Saracens used to be on top, but they had their difficulties and, had, and were automatically relegated into the division below. But h- how have Bristol Bears really come up and started to be a force in, in the league? Have they got like new owners or new backing? Or or what's that about?
1: I'm, I, uh, I'm not actually sure, because um, until last year, they completely weren't in my radar as a team to watch. And then last year, I don't know why I saw some like Fijian flair and excitement in the way they Mm -hmm. played. Sorry. It was very like an offloading game, very quick paced. And so then they caught my eye. I always try to like watch their highlights if not watch the games, Mm -hmm. but even still like this year you've seen Newcastle come up and they're already a top half of the table team comfortably. And it's impressive to see, I can, it speaks volumes again that the second division is pretty strong and shouldn't be underestimated as we've seen as Trailfinders beat um, the Saracens team that they played a couple of days ago on last weekend. So I think these teams that have just been re-promoted back up shouldn't be underestimated as soon as they jump back in because Newcastle have found some great form as well. And it's, it's kind of just made the premiership even more exciting because it's just not Exeter and Saracens dominating it all the time.
0: The other thing you mentioned, Sam, was the fact that the England squad was... <laughs> Released today, have any of the inclusions caught your eye?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> I in one of the articles I wrote about players to watch earlier, um, from Bristol Beds, Harry Randall, the scrum half, he is a very exciting prospect. He's just very, I think, he's got a good aptitude for the game, he's very quick, he's very observant. Um, and then, um, of course, Paolo Odogru from Wasp was also mentioned ahead of Jonathan Joseph, who's been a, a pretty common name in the England squad, which is an interesting call because I, I, from what I've seen, Paolo Dobri's only had like a, a month or two of very impressive games, but that's from a pretty um, out-of-the-scene perspective. So he must have done something to really impress uh, Eddie uh, in choosing his squad.
0: And over to you, Sam matthews I anything about the England team that you find particularly interesting at the moment?
2: Um, not particularly, Luke, to be honest. I mean, I haven't, as I say, I haven't really kept up with the rugby scene over the past few years. But I do have a little kind of claim to fame, I would say, in that one of the players who was called up for England towards the back end of last year, but has obviously missed out, I think, because of injury, is a bloke called Alfie Barbary. don't know if Sam's heard of him, but um, yeah, he... <laughs> Basically my school played against his school quite a lot in rugby and a lot of people in my school were mates with him and I was, I've was, i chatted to him a couple of times and he's he's quite a genuine, nice bloke. So yeah, so I was just going to kind of point that out. It was my little sporting claim to fame. Yeah.
0: And on that note, we, we move over to our final topic of discussion for today's podcast, the Premier League title race, which, as I said at the top of the show, has become even more interesting after Liverpool lost 1-0 against Burnley on Thursday evening. I think that's probably the natural place to start. It was Ashley Barnes with the only goal of the night from the penalty spot. We'll start off with you, Sam matthews Bowman. Do you think Liverpool are in a title race, or do you think they're about to slip down into kind of the lower reaches of the table.
2: I mean, their quality and strength over the past couple of years means you can never really properly rule them out. I mean, they're clearly not the team they were last year for various reasons. I think, I think burnout overconfidence, even maybe is has has meant that their chances this year are probably not what they should be. But I, basically don't think you can rule them out. I mean, with players like Salah and Mane and Firmino and Jota, when he gets back to full fitness, they're always going to be a threat. A goal, They're always going to have a goal threat. And although they haven't got Virgil, they've still got some pretty good defenders in people like Matip and Fabinho's done a decent job there this year. So basically, I don't think you can really rule them out. I mean, they're only six points off. I mean, they could put together a little run of form and then they'll be Right up there again. So yeah,
0: I think Liverpool are in a really interesting situation at the moment because since the seven 0 win over Crystal Palace, I think kind of the week before Christmas, Liverpool have been really poor and they haven't been able to score particularly often. And that's that is a big issue. Like Ibars goalkeeper has more goals than Liverpool in this calendar year, for example. So it, it, it's not it's not looking great for the Open Klopp's team, and I think. The main thing that I, I would say is that Liverpool have earned rightly so much praise about the way they kind of act in the transfer market. They bring in the right players at the right time at the right price. They've done they've done really, really well in that regard. When they needed a centre back, they bought Van Dyke. When they needed a goalkeeper, they signed Allison. However, they've been ravaged by injuries this year. You've had Jordan Henderson and Fabinho play at centre back and the and the club haven't signed anyone to to fill that position and that's something that I find really weird because Liverpool have still been really good defensively kind of since Van Dijk and Joe Gomez were injured the issue has been kind of in the final third they're just not scoring enough goals and that's because the balance in midfield has gone because Fabinho is not playing where he should be and it just strikes me as really naive for Liverpool a team that have been so good and are so evidently good enough to win the title again that they haven't gone out and just spent the money and I think this is just an example where kind of the ownership group there has been a little bit too cautious. Yeah. And I guess on that, I'll I'll throw that over to you, Sam Warner. What what do you make of Liverpool at the moment?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I, I didn't. <clears throat> I watched the game last night. I just couldn't believe like some of the chances that just weren't put in the net. So it's like. <clears throat> You can clearly see there's a huge slump for the front three. Um and I agree with um Sam Matthews Burma that eventually they will find form and they will possibly be a threat again. But I do think there is there is that golf in midfield which Fabino would have held up that people aren't as willing to go forward from the midfield because of that golf and him being at the back I am pretty impressed by Henderson and him being able to fill up fill in as centre back so well but I do think they have left problems, just shifted the problem up the field a bit now instead of actually solving it.
2: I've I've seen them being linked to a couple of centre half this transfer window, but I think Klopp has come out and said that that's they're uh, unlikely to spend any money, which, as you say, Luke, is very surprising because they've seemingly completely lost the balance in the team. Because while well, they used to have Virgil at the back, who used to just mop up everything and was just Generally, a god and a lovely human being and a lovely Dutch human being, um, and they've completely lost that balance now because they're always worried about being vulnerable at the back and and having to rely too much on 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 the attack to score goals, which means that um, they've just yeah they've just completely lost that balance. And so, in order to find that, I think spending the money on even if it's a young up and coming centre half like they were linked with another dutch center back called sven botman uh, um leal and he's again all you need he's an authoritative figure and he is actually a center back which would just provide that leadership that defensive know-how which would kind of rebalance the team and allow the attack to do their thing without having to worry about preventing any counter-attacks coming against them
0: speaking of a club that also have a a Dutch centre-back, although he's not really seeing much of the pitch at the moment. Of course, Manchester City, they've rediscovered their defensive prowess. John Stone's had an incredible week and single-handedly saved my fantasy football season, so I'm very grateful for that. Sam Warner, do you think City are title contenders this year? And if so, what has been the difference between this year and last under Pep Guardiola?
1: I don't know. It's Again, it's thanks to Chelsea, I think, who the Chelsea's loss to Arsenal kind of saved Arteta a bit, and I think Man City found their form again against Chelsea because it's since then where they've kind of had that that fluid passing, that control over the game that they used to have a few years ago. And it's quite nice to see that because it's very enjoyable to watch, but um, yeah, I would definitely put them up there as title contenders now they've They've got their form back. But one thing which I thought was interesting to <clears throat> note and see was that Guardiola wasn't hoping to get any um when he in that interview when he just outright said no to getting a backup for Jesus and Aguero and now Aguero's contracted coronavirus is um made it a bit more difficult because although he's played this um false nine pretty effectively with De Bruyne and others up front, I think at times, they will regret that they don't have that kind of prowess up front, just a quick punch to get them that goal. But hopefully, they'll be okay, and it'll you know, push Man new to, you know, a tight title race. This and
0: Sam Matthews, Ben, I'll throw the idea of Manchester United over to you. They are exceeding all expectations under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment. Paul Pogba has come in for a fair amount of praise, which hasn't been the case in the British media for quite a while. Is this Manchester United team potentially on a title charge?
2: Um, unfortunately for Man United fans, Luke, I think you've come to a person who's always going to be an eternal sceptic of Man United. Um, I'm afraid to say I think this position of them being at the top of the league will be very, very, very short-lived. I expect them to drop as fully drop as um, drop as drastically as they've risen over the past couple of months. I think that unlike Klopp and Guardiola where you can always expect them to bounce back, always expect them to win games even in tough periods, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not going to inspire that from his team. I think his man management is lacking. His tactical knowledge is lacking. He's only, he's only slightly better than Frank Lampard as a manager and that's not saying much. Um, so yeah, I don't really see Man United staying in their current position. I think they rely way too much on Bruno Fernandes, and if he gets even a slight injury, I think they'll fall like a stone. Which I think they will do, regardless of if he, if he gets injured anyway. So yeah. And by the way, he's just one of one of my personal vendettas against Oli Solskjaer is the fact that he's mistreated my little boy Donny Van der Beek so badly. Such a beautiful young man and such a beautiful player in part an integral part of that Iox team that did so well in 2018 tonight and and he's treating him like a like a Divock Origi at at Liverpool like a kind of joke figure you bring on in the 89th minute for a laugh so as you can probably tell I'm not the biggest fan of Man United or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
0: Sam what I love about your analysis is simply how any player who is associated with either Ajax or the or Netherlands in a positive sense, is beautiful, is a wonderful human being, and anyone who mistreats them is like the height of all evil. I do love that about you. Um, mm-hmm. What I will do now is we've kind of gone over the half an hour mark, which was the aim, and to avoid talking about the rest of the top six, which in some respect could all be seen to be in the title race at the moment, I'll ask you each this, who are currently your pick to win the title because if it's not city liverpool united then we should talk about them and kind of if it's not then we we probably don't so we'll start off with sam warner
1: um i am
2: backing man city to go over to you sam i agree with sam i think man city well, they always seem to have a break for a year where they don't really do anything and then come back strong and win the title. But I wouldn't I wouldn't discount the threat of Spurs as well. You never know what Mourinho is going to do. So, And they've got a game in hand on Man United at the top. So I reckon they could make a late surge.
0: I agree with both of you. I, I think Manchester City at the moment are favourites. I think after that, Liverpool and Spurs are in a similar kind of ballpark. And then way behind, I, I see someone like Manchester United. I don't think what we're seeing from from the team at Old Trafford at the moment is sustainable, simply because, and I I think back to the game against West Ham quite a lot, because they were rubbish for the first hour, and then they won 3-1 anyway. And I'm not not saying that to, to detract from their performance. It was really impressive how they did come back. But the point is, they've done things like that so often that it just feels like they can't continue to overturn these deficits, and they need to start kind of winning and winning well. And I think they've started to do that. It just needs to be a case of, of continuing into the future. Before we end today's podcast, I wanted to talk just like Manchester United about the future. Um, so this weekend we have a reporter attending Coventry United ladies versus Charlton athletic in the FA women's championship. So if you're interested in the football, please do check out org. stroke sport, and you'll find updates on there but before we go i wanted to ask each of you are there any kind of narratives in sport any plot lines in sport that you wanted to talk about before we end today's podcast and so first of all i'll throw it over to sam warner
1: um no that's basically it the one thing i forgot that's quite interesting that's coming up is the atp cup which was uh the first one was last year and it's just quite an exciting fun thing to watch in the tennis world and that's starting, I think, either at the end of this month or
2: the first five days.
0: And over to you, Sam. Any anything to round off the show?
2: I'm really enjoying the Premier League this year, generally, Luke. And over the past couple of years, that hasn't really been the case. And the reason I'm enjoying it is because teams like Leicester, Everton, and your beloved West Ham are really kind of staking their claim to be a proper. Champions League challenges and really fighting high up the table. So I'm enjoying the kind of seeing those, what you'd previously have called mid table, kind of mid ranking teams, or even relegation candidates really pushing up the league and fighting for those European spots. So
0: yeah, it's quite nice to see. I don't believe for one second that you enjoy watching West Ham at the moment. I don't think anyone does, but I'll take it regardless. Um, the thing that I wanted to end the show on is a recommendation. So on, uh, rather at nine o'clock on Sunday, Free Sports, which is a free channel in the UK, are airing the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Calgary Flames in the NHL. And as someone who adores hockey and is forcing hockey on all the deputy editors making them edit my articles, I implore you to watch it because it should be a really good game. However, I think that does bring this episode of the Boar Sport Podcast to a close. My name, as always, has been Luke James. I'm the Boar Sports Editor. You can find me on Twitter at Luke James underscore 32. Thanks to Carlos Tevez. You can find Sam Matthews Bomer on Twitter at Bomer Sam. You cannot find Sam Warner on Twitter because... Is stuck in the Stone Age. But you can also find The Boar on Twitter, at Boar Sport. And that really does end this episode of the Boar Sport podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay safe and we'll see you soon.